Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. Okay, so um, we are going to get back into, for those of you who don't know, we're in the middle of a uh, three, uh, a series of sermons, three sermons focused on uh, biblical finance and what God says about managing our finances throughout scripture. Okay, so we're in uh, number two of that uh, series. <clears throat> and um, before we get back into the topic, I do just want to say next week's our last week of doing this. And um, we want to close it out practically. So uh, we've, we've got an idea to do a, a budgeting workshop uh, next Sunday at 6.30 p.m. here in the Mire. Um, and what that's going to allow for any of, any of you who choose to come be a part of that is you're going to be led through putting together a first draft budget uh, for your own personal finances. You're going to get a holistic view of what they look like, and you'll be led along the way and be able to ask questions as you do that. Um, but that's going to allow you to put these principles into practice right away, the things that we've been talking about for the past three weeks, okay? So um, if you think you're interested in that, if you think that you want to sign up for that and be a part of that, can I just get a quick show of hands? Um, okay. All right. Decent amount. All right. And if, you, and if you need to think about it, if you need to figure out if it works, that's fine too. You've got a week to sign up. My... My wife, Hannah, will get uh, a link to sign up for that in the Kaya WhatsApp group, and um, it'll tell you everything you need. You really just need your laptop, a list of all your income, and your expenses, okay? And that's anything you spend money on, subscriptions, debt. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk about budgeting next week, okay? Okay, so um, last week, we contrasted the world's perspective on money and spending versus God's perspective on money and spending. That was the focus of that message. Um, and a lot of what we covered is how when we manage our money from God's perspective, when we let it become our motivation in life, um, a lot of the times we end up piercing ourselves with many sorrows. That's what 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 tells us. And you know, like that looks like a lot of different things, whether it's getting ourselves into thousands of dollars worth of credit card debt that we never needed to take on in the first place, whether it's not taking careful steps to, you know, save and invest throughout our lives. So suddenly we're, you know, in our, in our adulthood in a, in a chaotic situation takes place. And, you know, all it takes is one expensive chaotic situation to throw our finances like off track completely. Um, and, and, you know, due to bad stewardship, we might have to take years to getting back on track, sometimes decades. Sometimes people spend their entire lives their entire lives wrestling with unfavorable financial, financial situations. And a lot of the time, that's because they never, you know, they never just stopped what they were doing and, and uh, changed their perspective on how they view and handle their finances. And I believe the, you know, the, the perspective we ought to be doing that from is God's word. Um, you know, our finances are supposed to be tools used to glorify God. But so many people and Christians, you know, so many Christians actually get in a position where they are tools controlled by their finances. Um, and when this happens, it's very easy to become envious. It's very easy to become covetous. It's very easy to begin emulating others, right? And eventually, all of these things lead to the same thing. It leads to people erring from their faith and piercing themselves with many sorrows. 
Now, many of us in this room are in a position where we've yet to get a handle on our finances or we're just getting to that point in life where it's like, all right, I need to start finishing, or figuring out my finances right now. And to you all, to those people, I would say it's very important that you use the right blueprint, right? Like this is, this is the place we can go to to figure out how to manage our finances. There's a lot of resources in the world and, you know, they'll tell you, you know, a lot of different things, but, but I think this is the place that we ought to be starting at. I really do. Because you can mess your finances up before you're 30. You know, you can mess your finances up before you're 25. You can have a year of income and at the, at the end of that year, at that first year of having, having steady income, be in a position where it's like, oh my gosh, I messed up big time. What am I going to do? Um, and, you know, some of us, you know, might already feel like we're operating from a place of, of kind of screwed up finances. Some of us might feel that way. Some of us might feel like, you know, I'm just barely getting by, and that's probably just how it's always going to be for me. I'm just going to be the person who barely gets by financially. And uh, that doesn't have to be the case. It doesn't have to be, because God gives us, again, all the instruction we need to manage our finances in a way that will land us in a favorable financial position where money can truly be a tool that's used to give glory to him in our lives, where we don't have to be tools to it. So uh, last week, we talked about how we should prioritize the Lord in our spending according to God's word. And we spent some time in Matthew chapter 6, verses 30 through 33. Okay, this passage right here. So for a believer of Jesus Christ who's trying to understand biblical finance, it's important to start here and believe on this promise. It really is that, that, if, that if we seek first the things of God and his righteousness, the things that he says are of eternal value, according to his word, then, then we can trust and have faith that God will provide for us everything we need in this life. Um, now, he doesn't say he's going to provide for us everything we want, right? That's not what he says in this promise. That's nowhere throughout scripture. It's everything we need. And that starts, again, by prioritizing our spending by way of biblical giving before we prioritize other things. Now, this is outlined for you all in your handouts. I hope everybody got a handout out the door over there. Um, so that's there for you to reference. But that's it. If we put these things first in our spending, these, 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 these type of spending patterns that directly uh, give glory to the Lord, if we're taking part in them with the right heart, with the heart that is set to wanting to prioritize these actions first, then we can, tr- we can trust God to supply all our needs in life. Um, you know, we have everything we need. That's, that's a true statement. God has given us everything we need in him by way of his sacrifice and his resurrection, which we celebrate on this day. You know, and, and what this actually means, you know, along with simply meaning we have everything we need, is it means we have the freedom to, to not want for anything, right? We have the freedom to do that. Um, you know, like, you don't have to want for anything, You can be someone who gives biblically but disregards the Lord with the rest of your finances because your wants are driving your spending from there on, you know, and that's still compartmentalizing the Lord and our obedience to him. Um, And you can, you know, you see how we look at how somebody who doesn't, you know, care about the Lord at all, who's not a person of faith and like generally their financial habits are driven by their wants, right? Like those are the things that get priority and that might be the case for us as well. Um, so for the rest of this morning, 
We're gonna cover what the Bible says about three different financial actions and topics that we should all be aware of as stewards of our finances after we've given priority to God in our spending, right? These are the next things that we can be doing that actually still can give glory to God if we don't allow ourselves to forget the truth that we don't have to want for anything because the Lord's given us all that we need. And these topics are savings, investing, and debt and borrowing, all right? So it's gonna be another exciting Sunday morning. <laughs> all right, so let's pray. God, thank you for today, Lord. Thank you for your word. Um, God, thank you for just, you know, what, what took place on this day historically. God, thank you for the sacrifice of your son and, and, and the resurrection um, of Jesus Christ, the, the act that, you know, that changed my life, you know, and changed the life of so, so many of us. Thank you for the opportunity to be reconciled to, uh, to, to you, Father, um, through that sacrifice. God, we don't want to disregard everything else about our faith just because we know this, that, that, you know, that we have obtained our salvation through Jesus Christ. So I pray today we would, we would listen in, that we would, we would be focused, that we'd have open hearts and open ears and open eyes, and that we'd see the truth of your word, that we'd let it into our hearts, we'd understand it, and that we'd apply it to our lives and we'd, we'd live it out um, and make it into wisdom. So uh, God, be with us. Um, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So the first topic of today is savings, okay, is savings. Now, today is going to be very informational. It's going to be filled with information, warnings, and then also real-world application, okay? So I just want to give you guys a heads up about that. And again, a lot of what we're covering is going to be on your outline, which is just for, to reference throughout. You don't have to, like, there's no fill in the blanks on this. It's just so, like, you don't feel like you need to write down all the, all the real-world stuff that I'm saying, Okay throughout the message today. Okay, so I think we should start with this question with savings. Should we be saving income according to scripture? Should we be doing that? Does God really want us to be setting our finances aside for ourselves? You know, some people like to ask this question. Is that not selfish? I mean, where is the self-sacrifice in taking what God has given to us and paying ourselves with it uh, as we steward these things? Okay, so before we answer that question, Uh, We'll have a little cliffhanger here. I think it makes sense to take a short detour and talk about how God commands us to work, okay? So this is a brief recap of Miles' message from last week, and he did a fantastic job of explaining all this. So, But just to briefly cover, let's look at Proverbs chapter 13, verse 11, all right? Which says this, Wealth gotten by vanity shall diminish, but he that gathereth by labor shall increase. Okay, so simply put, we see in Proverbs here that we are to gather by labor. We're to gather by labor. We are to earn through and by the action of work. Okay, so let's look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, which says this, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Okay, so comparing Scripture with Scripture, if we think back to Matthew chapter 6, Verses 30 through 33, which is where we, you know, have now seen it several times, the promise that God says if we seek him first, then he'll provide all of our needs in life. So when we look at these other sections of scripture along with that Matthew 6 passage, um, we see that God's provision for people doesn't just come out of thin air, does it? That's That's not how it works. It doesn't just come out of thin air. Unless we are obedient to the command to take part in labor and frankly put, not be sluggards, not be slothful, lazy bums or whatever, 
um, then, then we don't actually have the opportunity to provide or to prioritize God in our finances unless we take part in work. Because if any would not work, neither should he eat. You know, how we gather finances and resources, the way God dispenses them to us is he gave us bodies to labor and gather with. Now, although God does promise to provide all that we need in life, again, his, his command to us is to take part in work so that we can earn that provision, right? Like provision comes through work. And then once we have that provision, we got to prioritize him with it. And then once we've done that, we have to exchange it, buy and sell to gain resources that we then take oversight of. And ultimately, he did provide those resources to us by way of our labor to begin with. We have this, this closed loop process of, of how God provides for us in his economy. We see this all throughout scripture. God does want his people to have autonomy in how they support themselves financially. He does want that. And being autonomous in those actions is the beginning of stewarding our finance as well. So logically, logically it makes sense to me that after we've earned through labor and after God has provided for us through our jobs and income that we would take steps to maintain that level of autonomy that we have in managing our finances. That we would take steps to responsibly allocate our income in a way that helps to prevent us from becoming someone else's financial burden when times get tough, because times will get tough. Okay, so that, to me that makes sense logically, but luckily we don't have to rely on my logic to put two and two together here, um, because scripture tell us, tells us plainly that we should be saving. We see that, okay? Proverbs chapter 10, verses four through five says, he becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. He that gathereth in the summer is a wise son, but he that sleepeth in the harvest is a son that causeth shame. So God tells us when the harvest is producing, when there's production taking place from that yield, from what's produced, being a good steward of that resource means we'll manage it in a, we'll manage it in a way that it can be made useful when there is no harvest, right? That means we'll set some aside. That means we will take part in saving. But he who sleeps through the harvest who makes no effort to plan for the winter season, well, that's a son that causes shame because he thought not about managing what God provided to him in a way that would stop him from becoming a financial burden to someone else when times do get tough or, or because he was just like too quick to spend his money, his, his earnings on everything that he wanted as soon as, as soon as he got that yield on whatever was in front of him. You guys remember that episode of SpongeBob SquarePants where Patrick Starr and SpongeBob are on the run from the law and they're sitting outside Bikini Bottom around that fire and they both have two bars of chocolate? It's all they've got. That's their, that's their provision for, you know, while they're on the run. And, and SpongeBob's opening his up and he says, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a bite now and I'm going to save some for later. SpongeBob's thinking about saving. He looks up and Patrick's bar's gone. But there's chocolate all over his face. And Patrick says, hey, did you take my candy bar? <laughs> and SpongeBob says, no, Patrick, you ate it. It's all over your face, right? This, Patrick is a, is a son that causes shame, all right? <laughs> he is, right? And like, this is oftentimes the case for us as well. We, we, we find ourselves, we're like, I have no money for nothing today. I've been working 36 hours a week. I don't know why I don't have my money. Can't buy lunch, but, but check out these new shades I got. You know, 
maybe I can get somebody to take me out to lunch and we could sit outside and I'll wear my shades. <laughs> you know, like this is, this is how, it, how it goes. Proverbs 21.20 says, there is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. It's foolish to live this way. Haggai 1.6 says, ye have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. God says you do so much that even at the appearance of having all your needs met, your needs are still not met. You know, don't be foolish and spend all your money on, what, on, on wants and temporary things in this life. If you want to be a son that bringeth shame, take no thought about setting money aside. Allocate no savings. Position yourself in a way where when the economy's tanking, when the work slows down, when the harvest is dead and gone, that you have no plan as to how you're going to provide for your family. You have no plan as to how you're going to provide for yourself. The truth is, if you had no plan as to what you were going to do during that season of difficulty in life, if you weren't careful to heed God's word and plan for that, then what you were planning to do all along was to become someone else's financial burden. Right? Or you were planning to get down on your knees and, and ask God for a check to show up in the mail for a thousand bucks. God, I could really use a thousand bucks. I could really use it. God, what do you think of my sunglasses? You know? <laughs> like, like we, this is what we do. We call out to him in desperation to provide for our needs after he provided for our needs and we squandered what he provided to us. You know, like this is what we do. Now, I've talked about the importance of offerings last week, right, which is, which is one of the ways that the local church supports members in, in different situations that come up in needful times through giving. But that's nothing to be abused by members of the church. Like, there are uncontrollable situations that arise in people's lives, that, and, it, and it absolutely is the responsibility of the, the, the body of Christ to come together to support financial needs during that time. But a situation that arises from a place of poor stewardship, you know, from the discounting of God's wisdom, again, like we just talked about, uh, that's not an unforeseeable situation. That's a situation that he made known to us before it happened. You know, that's, that's someone, again, when times get tough, is planning on asking for a handout, right? Sam said it last week, you know, like God's not really all that much for the idea of welfare and, a pl and planned welfare at that. Um, and man, if that's your plan or if that was somebody's plan in your life, you know that person or, or you were planning on abusing God's people because that's not exactly how God designed these, these types of givings to be done. So to answer my previous question, Scripture does tell us to be saving portions of our income. It does. After we've prioritized God with all that he's given to us, this is one thing we can do with our finances, with what's left over after we prioritize the Lord with the first of our fruits that still brings him glory in our finances, right? And it's not selfish to do that. Anybody who says this is, it's, it's not selfish to do that. It's self-sacrificial to say no to getting something that you want right now so that you can provide for the sake of your, your, your own self or, or your family uh, down the road when you'll be in a place of future need. That's self-sacrificial. It's actually extremely selfish to not think about future needs, especially when you're financially responsible for others, whether it's family or whether it's kids. This is, this is not anything that you can find in Scripture. 
and to say yes to everything that's right in front of you at any given moment. I mean, that is failure in biblical stewardship of your finances. That's what it is. It's the discounting of God's word. My first key point is there is wisdom in saving our income for future needs. There's wisdom in doing that. Real world advice, it's good practice to have three to six months worth of living expenses saved up as a sort of rainy day fund. And in the event that that we have to find new employment, we have to provide for ourselves in a a season of life where, where there is no harvest. You know, and on top of that, it's, good, it's a good idea to have $1,000, like, in addition to that savings that is completely liquid and ready to be spent, you know, because emergencies come up, hospital bills, car repairs, home repairs, like, and these things are expensive, guys, until you've experienced it. Like, a car repair, the other day, Hannah and I got quoted for 1300 bucks for a car repair, and I was just like, Phew. so I learned how to be a mechanic. I changed all of the things that were wrong on my own. Um, <laughs> because I wasn't prepared for that one. But, you know, like, these things come up, and they'll knock us off our rocker if we're not prepared for it. Now, it's also worth noting that as far as savings go, you can store up too much. And you can make how much you store up your idol, right? There's, there's a few things in this life that we do know for certain. Uh, one of them is covered explicitly in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7, which says, For we brought nothing into, the, into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. Right? Matthew 6, verses 19 through 20 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. This is where our true treasures lie, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. Okay, so is this conflicting advice? No, it's not. There's, There's a line to be drawn. There's a line to be drawn. We should be prepared for seasons of famine, by way of savings, but our security and purpose in life can never be found in our savings accounts, right? At the moment, our thoughtful preparation for seasons of famine that God has warned us about specifically have progressed into a love for obtaining and storing up as much wealth as humanly possible, well, it's likely we've begun to err from the faith, and what follows that is being pierced with many sorrows. So my next key point is this, saving for future needs should never become a substitute for our reliance on Jesus Christ. That's not what that's for. That's not why God told us to save it, so it could take his spot. Be weary of humanity's propensity to make their life's purpose about building themselves a kingdom on earth. Be be weary of your own propensity to do that very same thing. Trusting in your riches will be your fall. It will be. Okay, so that's a little bit about savings. So we're going to move now to investing. Investing. Should we be investing income according to Scripture? This is our next question. Now, first of all, what we should realize about uh, investing is that it's a different way of, of generating income. So in, in one way, it's, it's, it's a way to add to the income from our work. And also, it's a different way of savings. Okay, so when we're investing in a 401k for retirement, what we're doing is we're saving up for a favorable financial position in the future that will allow us to prioritize, prioritize God and our finances still at that different point in life. So all the biblical principles that scripture reveals to us about the topic of savings, um, a lot of them are very applicable to the topic of investing also. Like they are in a lot of ways. Now there are some additional principles to be added and we'll look at those, but I do just want to point out, okay, that God believes in the idea of investment. 
It's written all over his design. Now, you're not going to find the word invest or investment in your King James Bible specifically. You're not going to find that. But you are going to find words like multiply, increase, much, many, exceedingly, greater, and abundance. And, and not every one of these mentions is in direct relation to financial investment. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying that. But together, they do reveal to us God's heart for production by way of investment. And the stewardship of our, of our finances doesn't actually get skipped over in that. It's by way of investment that we multiply physically and spiritually. Bless you. That was a good sneeze. That we grow in our understanding of godliness, right? And how disciples are made and how church plants are made and how Bible study plants multiply. Like this is all happening through investment. This room alone is evidence of a whole bunch of investment that's taken place according to God's design. We see investment in the Great Commission. We're commissioned to make an investment. And, and that means we see it in Jesus' words, right? That's, that's what it means. Now, over the last week and over spring retreat, uh, the parable of the talents was brought up several times. This is Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30, um, which is a story that, that ultimately gives us a spiritual picture of accounting for stewardship of God's resources at the judgment seat. It absolutely is that. But I, I do like to point out that it's also structured around the basis of financial investment. Okay? So, so to paraphrase this story, um, this master gets three of his servants together, and he gives each of them a different amount of talents. And what a talent is in the context of Matthew 25 is currency or a sum of money, uh, to put it simply. So the master entrusts these portions of his wealth to his servants clearly expecting that a profit would be made from it, and then he leaves on this long journey, and, he, and then he comes back. Now, each of those servants took some sort of action while the master was away, okay? They each took some sort of action in between the time that he left and returned, and, and really to summarize this portion of the story here, two of those servants uh, multiplied their, their talents by way of investment of some sort. It doesn't say they invested them in the stock market, right? Like that wasn't, that wasn't what they were doing. But they were buying and trading and buying and selling. Like this is ultimately what investment is to some degree. Um, and the third servant hid his one talent away for safekeeping. It, he, he had anxiety about losing it. Now when the master returns, he's very pleased with the two that made investments, right? His response to them is, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Now it's not like, I'm not, I'm not at all making the case that, that God was like um, trying to, like God's some finance bro manager at an investment firm with a suit on and with a headset. And he's like, come on, keep those calls coming in. Buy high, sell low, get in on the dip, you know? Like God, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not making that point. Um, but we, we see a difference in, in how he responds to these servants. The third one, on the other hand, uh, is, is responded to with some really harsh words and an even harsher judgment. Because again, guys, picture of the judgment seat here. So the thing about the two guys that made the investments, I'm not, again, like I just explained, it's not necessarily the case that they invested their money and that's what pleased the master. It's that they took wise action with the resources that were entrusted to them and that's what pleased the master, right? So I don't think we can dismiss the fact altogether that Jesus chose to use multiplicity of currency as a picture of taking wise action with resources that the master left to his people. Okay, so my, my first key point is, is this. There is wisdom in investing our income for future needs. Okay? 
There's wisdom in investing our income for future needs. There's wisdom in managing our resources in a way that they begin to work for us. There's wisdom in that. Because ultimately that's what investing is. It's having your money do some work for you. Now, now there's a flip side to this coin as well, and it's that bad investments can destroy your finances. All right, there are wise investments to be made, but you had better believe there are ample amounts of unwise investments out there for us as well. So let's look again at Proverbs 13, verse 11. We looked at this earlier. Um, so this time the first half of the, of the verse says, Wealth gotten by vanity shall diminish, but he that gathereth by labor shall increase. So wealth gotten by vanity, wealth received through scheming, through taking on great risk with what God has provided to his people, well, generally that's connected to a bad investment, okay? Like very often uh, that can be the case. Now, you know, trying to get rich quick off of investing is called quick money or fast money. Like these are these are terms. And there's a saying for wise investors that quick money is quick to be wasted and fast money is fast to be gone, right? Um, and, and I think God would agree with that. So I do, I do want to add another key point, which is God never approves of financial investments driven by our flesh, he doesn't approve of those type of investments with what's his. You know, we talked about this last week, but if the works of our flesh are being carried out in financial management in our lives, then the fruits of the Spirit will not be expressed in how we manage our finances in our lives. They won't. <clears throat> Just a second. Okay. So our additional income received through investment should mimic our income received through labor. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to try to explain this. Um, it, should, it should mimic it in that way in that it's generating income little by little. All right, so nobody gets hired at a job or in a career position and then no longer has financial needs after they've accepted the position, right? That's not how that works. It's not like you've won the lottery if you get a job. So that should not be what our investments are seeking to do either. You know, like you don't get a job and go to your boss on the first day and say, hey, thanks again for the opportunity to work here. Could I get 10 years of pay in advance? I'd like to be free of all my financial worries today now that I got this job, right? That's a sure way to get hired or get fired. <laughs> fired. Um, unless you're trying to get double hired. I don't know. No. Um, jobs and investments should be ways of securing a form of income that has to be managed well over time, okay? It's, it's not like, some, like we, can't, we can't live by this get-rich-quick mentality according to Scripture. You know, through biblical management of income, whether it's generated by, by a job or by an investment, uh, you'll be in a good position in time if you follow God's word. Uh, but, it, but it's a patient and laborious task to get there, Right? Like, God doesn't like us to skip steps along the way. So people who want to get rich quick through investment often squander their finances and make poor decisions that leave them pierced with many sorrows. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start having you guys finish that sentence if it, if it comes up again. <clears throat> um, an investment opportunity that's worth considering should produce patience in a steward. And that decision should be able to be made in a sober-minded way. Don't let your appetite for gain, for abundance and increase, lead you to put your money in the next cryptocurrency that pops up or the next NFT-like product that goes public. You know, this trending investing is, is, 
it's oftentimes driven by our flesh and the excitement of it, right? Uh, biblical investing seeks long-term and cautious growth. All right, so let's look at some scripture that tells us this. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. This is, this is a, a book written to us by Solomon, okay? It says, Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if the tree fall toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there shall it be. He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. As thou knowest not what is the way of the spirit, nor how the bones do grow inside the womb of her, of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thine hand. For thou knowest not whether shall prosper either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. Okay, so Solomon was a man of investment. He was a man of many things, um, had a lot of hobbies, but one of them was trade and investment. Um, and what he's telling us here in Ecclesiastes, and it might be hard to see at first, is he's telling us to make diversified investments. Okay, and, and he's, he's also saying that while you do that, you should be aware of the pitfalls. But while you're being aware of the pitfalls, you should also, also not be overly cautious to the point that you bury your one talent in the earth. Okay? Like, this is, this is what he's telling us. In verses 1 and 2 of the passage, it says, uh, cast our bread upon the waters. Okay, so grain was a traded commodity during this time that Solomon probably traded in. And it's still a, a traded commodity today. People trade in, in wheat specifically. Like, I used to work with a guy that did. Um, so again, he's, he's talking about trade and investment. Financial action that generates monetary profit. He says, send your grain out on seven or eight different ships. Don't put all your grain in a single ship. And, you know, if, if that ship's traveling a path unknown, like, be sure to spread your grain out. He's saying, spread it out in a, in a diversified way. Be diversified. Don't put all your Easter eggs in the same Easter egg basket. <laughs> right? I know. Let it be out there for a long time, he says. He says, uh, what's, the, what's the word he says? And thou shalt find it after many days. Like he's, he's saying, you know, just forget about that investment. And, and, and when it comes back, see what type of return on the investment it provides to you. Now he does go on to say, don't be co so concerned with all these things we can't control. Like you don't know when it's going to rain. You don't know what direction a tree's going to fall. But, but also you don't know so much else about life that doesn't stop you from moving forward each and every day. You don't get how a baby grows inside a mother's stomach. I don't. You don't get how, you don't, you don't even get how God actually works all that much, but you guys trust him in a lot of things, don't you? You know? You don't know what you'll prosper, but you do know you won't prosper at all if you don't make some sort of an investment, if you choose to hide your talent in the earth. Okay, so my next key point is this. A wise investor is diversified, patient, and aware of risk. You know, we're, we're allowed to invest our income as Christians in a responsible way in a responsible way, in a way that's, you know, it, it, that's led by the Spirit as opposed to our flesh. So some practical investment advice. All right, when it comes to investments, the best place for any of us to start is with what's called a qualified retirement plan, okay? And this is, this is um, you know, something that is provided through our employers. This is what a 401k is for most people, what a 403b or a TSP, a thrift savings plan is, 
for teachers and government workers, for, for the union workers out there, you probably have the option to invest in a union or in, into a pension. You probably don't have a choice in that, actually. I think that's probably something you have to do. But um, these are all long-term investment accounts focused on the supplementation of our income uh, that will help us to supply in times of future need. They're setting you up for retirement. And practically, that's the wisest thing that you guys can begin investing for as you enter into the career force. All right? It's wise to make contributions to these out of every paycheck that are available to you through your employer. And it's wise to begin doing that as soon as possible. As soon as you get that first paycheck, you should try to have your retirement account set up before that. Um, you know, in an ideal world, we'd all give 15 to 20% of our income to retirement but we don't live in an ideal world. You guys probably need more of your income than that. I'm nowhere near that percentage. Um, so, you know, a good place to start is like between 4 and 7%, especially if your employer matches your contribution, um, which means they'll match the percentage you put in, and typically after a couple of years or something, you gain complete ownership of what they've put in as well. Okay? Now, if you don't work somewhere where you can invest in a 401k, there are a whole bunch of other options to invest for retirement, and I've listed a lot of those on your, in your handout, but I'm also happy to have a discussion with you about those at a later time. I'm not going to go over all those options right now because we would need a week or so to talk about it. So um, before I move on, I do want to point out, though, I know, I know, guys, I know there are people in this room who have been with their, their career employer in their, in their job for, for years now, and I know this because some of you have, like, told me this, like, just flat out. And, and, and right now, I want to encourage you to, uh, and, and, well, you've been with that career position and you've not set up your retirement account. You've let years go by where you could have been investing for, for your future retirement, but you chose not to do it. And typically because it's like, it's confusing. It's hard to, you know, I don't know how to, I don't know what I'm reading. And, and like, I get that it's, it's difficult, but it's, don't be an unjust steward in this matter, right? You have resources, use your resources. You should go home and set your retirement account up today before you start working again tomorrow. All right, um, you're not you're not you're not managing your own resources. You're managing the resources that God has given to you, you know. And I know this is the easy way out to just say, oh, "I'll do it later." But here we are, three years later, and um, you know, I don't get it. The easy way out in this instance is just dealing damage to your future self. Um, so, you know, ultimate, ultimately, that's that's immaturity. Like that 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 pushing it off is is an act of immaturity. So, so guys, go set it up. Step away from Netflix or YouTube for a couple of hours and just do the work to get your retirement account set up. Once it's done, it's done. You can like just forget about it and let it be out on those ships and let it come back when it's ready, you know? Um, okay. Does that make sense, guys? Okay. Last topic of the day, debt and borrowing. Debt and borrowing. Okay, so the question we're going to ask, should we be taking on debt according to Scripture? All right, so I'll start out by saying that the topic of debt is brought up with frequency throughout Scripture, a whole lot. Some of you guys have probably dealt with it in the book of Nehemiah up until this point, right? Like, we see it there. We see it all over. Um, and, you know, I think there's, you know, there's relevancy to that because debt's always been an issue for people in managing their finances. So I'll start out by saying the topic of debt is um, it's, it's never strictly forbidden in Scripture, like, you don't see a strict for, forbidding of debt uh, being allowed to be borrowed. But it's also never openly encouraged, right? So it's, you know, there's a middle ground with debt that we should all be aware of. 
Um, it is one, if not the biggest, issues that the church and the world face alike in, in, in having finances that have gone completely away. Okay? It is. Taking on amounts, like copious amounts of debt, will destroy your finances. So I'm just going to start out by saying that. But let's look at what Scripture says on the topic. So Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7 says this, The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. So what we do when we borrow money or when we take on debt is we enter into a form of slavery, okay? Debt is effectively equal to slavery in that it puts you in bondage to the world or to something else. And God warns us all throughout Scripture to flee from the bondage of the world. It's a part of how he wants us to look different from the world. And to look different, we can't be like, we can't be in bondage to it. Um, now, again, we talked about this last week, but, but the way someone chooses to dispense their income, um, it, it's, it's called the spending pattern. It, it reveals certain things about them, right? So there are, there are things that are revealed about a Christian and their relationship with God when they are having, being forced, in this instance, to dispense a certain amount of income to their debt uh, on a regular basis. So we're going to look at four things that debt reveals about a Christian's relationship with God. Okay? Four things. The first thing is that we are failing to trust him. We're failing to trust him. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 tells us, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So, so if, if we are people who choose to trust in the Lord with all our heart according to his understanding for our needs... Then, then we would, quite frankly put, we would be better about saying no to things that we have to take on debt to obtain. We would be better about it. Um, when in debt, again, we are in bondage. And when we enter into bondage of things that are not the Lord, what our finances reveal about us is that we couldn't trust the Lord for his provision. Like, that's what we're ultimately doing. We're, we're sidestepping the provision of the Lord when we take on debt. Like, in a lot of instances. Not all instances, but in a lot of instances. And then we're stuck in this position where for, for a season of life, for a period of time, we got to serve two masters, right? And Luke, Luke 16, verse 13 tells us that you cannot do that very thing, right? We can't work on these two foundations at the same time. So this is the first thing that our debt reveals. We're failing to trust in the Lord. The second thing that's revealed is that our debt, uh, of our debts is, is that we are making presumptions against God. Okay, James chapter 4, verses 13 through 14 tells us this. Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell. We will invest and get gain. We're going to get a bunch of money from buying and selling. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? Is it even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away? Okay, so here's a group of dudes who go to, you know, who, who think like we're gonna we're gonna be, we're gonna go do some things like in the economy, right? And and borrowing likely was mixed into this based off of um, how James explains it. But when a disciple of Jesus Christ decides to take on any amount of unsecured debt, and we're gonna talk about what that is specifically in a moment, they are effectively operating under the assumption that God's gonna provide future income for them. You know, now it's not wise to assume anything of the Lord, because ye know not what shall be on the morrow. None of us in this room know that we're going to have the income that we have today, tomorrow. None of us do. Not a single one of us. 
our debt reveals we are assuming God will provide income for this thing that he didn't provide for us outright, you know? Yeah, let me take on this debt, and then it'll be fine. I trust God to provide for my needs. Well, you, you spent money that God didn't even provide for you when you took on that debt. So, like, God's actually not in a position where he's got to make sure, you know, what you borrowed before he gave it to you gets, gets, gets paid off. Um, it's not good to make presumptions of God. It's not good. But that's what debt reveals of us sometimes. The third thing is that there is a failure to repent in our lives after salvation. Okay, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 21 through 22 says, If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts. Clearly, again, we've looked at this several times today, but we're told throughout Scripture that we can trust the Lord to provide all our needs. But a Christian who's choosing to take on amounts of debt is often a Christian who's choosing the desires of their old man, of their flesh. A lot of the things we have to take debt out for are things that our flesh really wants, right? Not always, but a lot of the times. You know, our old man sees what he wants. He sees it. He calls it a need. I need that. And then he prioritizes it before everything else. There is no kingdom perspective in the process of our old man's thinking. There's not. And what's revealed is that our walks with the Lord have lacked patterns of true repentance after salvation because otherwise our behaviors would change. Like some of these things are things we brought from our, our old selves into our walk with the Lord. And what produces true, true uh, change in behavior in the life of a Christian is true repentance. You know, that's what, that's what causes true behavior changes to take place in our lives as we become more conformed to him. Um, so when we're living according to our flesh, our finances reveal that. And it also just so happens to reveal that, man, like there's repentance that needs to begin taking place in our lives so we can move forward. The final thing that's revealed of our debts is failure of self-control and covetousness. Proverbs 25, 28 says, he that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Okay, now, uh, Matthew, first, I'm sorry, First Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, talks about the idea of coveting after money, right? So we're going to talk about covetousness in a second, but, well, actually, not in a second, right now. But according to Scripture, covetousness is defined as someone who's a lover of money, okay? Now, the world's definition for that same word says it's the inordinate desire of wealth or possessions, and the des or the desire for another person's possessions, okay? So, it, look, it's not the case. It's not the case that desiring something or even wanting something is an outright sin. Like, that's not what I'm communicating today. However, over-desiring or obsessing and then forcing obtainment of something that was not provided for in a biblical way is sin because it was coveted after Okay, God tells us that coveting for mammon is equal to idolatry, and idolatry in Scripture is identified as being equal to cheating on God. Okay, so, so there, there's, there's clearly no self-control in a coveter's heart. You know, and that's expressed in our finances and, and also in all these other areas of our lives. We're like a city without walls, expressing sinful habits in our finances and, again, all these other areas, welcoming all desires of the flesh into our lives with no defenses against it. Okay, so this is, this is something else, again, that's, that's revealed of, of our debts. Having covered these points, you know, when we've dug ourselves into these ditches of debt, the world's 
reproach is going to flood in if the world finds out about it, you know? And, and, and to a degree, rightfully so, because we are reflecting to everyone else that we are not actually faithful to what we say we believe. We drag Jesus' name through the mud, and then, and then we trade it in for like for 30 pieces of silver, right? And then we look at Judas and we think, oh, I would never do that. But we do it all the time. And then on top of it, we land ourselves in these unbelievably difficult positions to get ourselves out of financially. So the warning on taking on debt is this. The debt you take on has potential to derail your walk with the Lord. It will put your ability to seek God first on pause. Quite frankly, you know, like debt, and this is just, and, and this is, this is just hard truth, but it changes the projection of people's lives like debt does. It messes up people's lives completely. And, and God does not want that for his people. He doesn't want us to be in bondage to these things that aren't him. Now, there are different types of debt, okay? There's different types of debt. There's what's called secured debt and unsecured debt. So secured debt is what people take on when they borrow money against collateral. This is a home loan. This is a car loan, like we get an object that's borrowed against this amount of money that we were taking out. So that's one type. Then there's unsecured debt, which is what people take on when they borrow without collateral. So this is like technically student loans are considered uh, unsecured debt. Uh, credit card debt is unsecured debt. And personal loans are unsecured debt. All of these are considered higher risk. They generally have a higher interest rate, some on the upside of like 12%. Now, the Bible teaches us that if we're going to choose to take on debt, it shouldn't be placing presumptions on God, right? Rather, we should be as sure as we can be that we could clear ourselves of that debt at any time. So with a mortgage home loan, because you know, I own a house and because I have my home as collateral against my loan, if something arose in my life, I could put my house in the market. It would, it would suck to have to do this, but I could put my house in the market. I could sell it off. Maybe if the market's right, I could make some money on it, turn it into an investment. Um, and then I could pay off my loan, okay? Like, I'm fairly sure that I can do that. So that's different from unsecured consumer debt in that if you stack up hundreds or thousands of dollars worth of credit card debt, you're stuck with that until you've paid it off. And oftentimes, like credit card debt especially, we do that on items that don't retain value, things that can't be collateral for that debt, you know? Um, or we end up having to sell a whole bunch of stuff that had nothing to do with that debt. And what that, you know, what that expresses is, again, slavery. Giving up something else to, to, to something that is, you know, that's, that's now gained some ownership over you. Um, man, it's not wise to do that. It's not wise to take on copious amounts of unsecured debt. Um, you become a servant to it. God does not look down upon his people with a smile on his face who choose to buy a bunch of stuff on a credit card that they didn't even have the income for in the first place. He's not psyched about that. Or he doesn't look down on his people who choose to fund expensive mission trips on credit cards, you know, um, which costs sometimes on the upside of, you know, thousands of dollars on credit cards. I mean, that's not a spiritually mature decision to make. You know, um, that, that's the same as anyone else forcing of getting something that they want, that they didn't take honest steps to plan for in the first place. It's the same thing. Like God's going to do a lot more with you as a minister who's debt-free for the next four years as opposed to you as someone who goes overseas for a week while having taken on three to $4,000 worth of debt. Like he's going to do a lot more with you in that, in that state as opposed 
to the latter. You can't spiritualize that decision. You've got to plan for these things. You've got to be a good steward of these things. Now, with student loans, you know, we really should consider if the degree we're borrowing money to pay for is going to be able to land us a job that's going to provide us with a level of income that's going to allow us to pay that debt off in a reasonable amount of time. Like, we should consider that. I'm not going to go super far down this road, um, but I will say that's not always the case, right? Sometimes student loans can really put people into bondage for a long time, too. Again, as we become indebted to these things and people, we do become servants to those things and people. And, and debt itself, it doesn't have agency. Like it's just a, it's, a, it's a strategic tool that can be used in our economy to get things that we don't oftentimes have the money for. But it's not like this evil thing that's out to get you. So the, so the issue, I don't think, is as much about debt as it is, as it is servanthood. Like the, the serious question we got to ask before we take on debt is, what am I making myself a servant to? Can I at any time answer God's call to drop everything in my present life to serve God somewhere else without being bound by my debt? Can we do that? Our debt should not prevent us from being able to carry out the Great Commission. And it shouldn't prevent us from being able to prioritize God in our finances either. But it very easily becomes that, and it's due to poor stewardship of our finances. Now, once we're in debt... I mean, like, whatever. Like, people, people are in debt, right? We can't, like, we're not going to pretend like that's not a thing. So once we're in debt, some of you in this room may be in, in a lot of debt. Some of you just a little. But the biblical thing to do is to not take shortcuts with it. You know, like, filing for bankruptcy isn't, isn't a biblical thing to do. Um, relying on others to pay off your debts is not a biblical thing to do, making it somebody else's problem. Psalms chapter 37, verse 21 says this, the wicked borroweth and payeth not again, but the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. The wicked borrow money and then find ways to not have to pay it off. If you take on debt and extensive amounts of it so that now you're in bondage to it, the best thing you can do for your finances is work to pay it off diligently. It's, it's time to, sh to shift some focus to, to, to taking care of this thing that has become an issue. You know, we've had our seasons of putting ourselves before the Lord, um, and our unsecured debt, it reveals that of us. So what people have to realize about debt is once you have it, and this is my last key point, earnestly working to pay off your debt is honoring God in your finances. It's honoring God in your finances to do that. Someone who's buried in debt can still prioritize God in their finances by working diligently to pay it off. There's nothing dishonorable about acknowledging a failure in stewardship, nothing at all, and, uh, and changing our behavior and working to correct it. That's honoring the Lord, and the Lord can still provide for you from that place. You can still operate from a place of faith after having, having gotten into that situation. Debt doesn't have to throw us off of our walk with the Lord. It can if we let it, but it doesn't have to be that. Okay. So that is savings, investing, and debt, guys, in a nutshell, according to Scripture. Now, listen, I want to wrap up. And the, and, the, and, and the first thing that we can do, just to recap, to, to prioritize the Lord in our finances is, again, by first prioritizing Him in our spending, okay? This is done by way of biblical giving. Hey, guys, hold, 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 hold still for a moment. Let's not start packing up just yet. Let's just, let's listen. It was my bad for saying I'm going to wrap up. Um, yeah, so we prioritize the Lord in our spending by way of biblical giving. Now, after we've taken part in that as believers, 
we have the ability to prioritize him in no other way in our finances. If you've taken nothing away today, that's what you should take away. You can, you can do nothing else for the Lord in your finances. And that would be accomplished by allowing the desires of your flesh to drive your spending from there on. We have everything we need. So what we can do is we can continue to prioritize him by taking his instruction in all these other areas of our finances. You know, when we live according to his words and by the guidance of his spirit, that is giving him priority. And that continues through every single financial decision we make. So we should save with our income appropriately because there's wisdom in it. And we should invest with our income appropriately because it's a wise thing to do. And we should be weary of the debt that we choose to enter into. We should view it biblically and we should be cautious, cautious of the bondage that we're, we're attaching ourselves to, to the yoke that we're sometimes reattaching ourselves to. Okay? Worship team, if you want to come up. I don't know who's close. Oh, David. <clears throat> um, so the question guys, that, that we need to be considering today, and, and we should be honest with ourselves, like, this, this question is a practical question, like, this whole series is supposed to be practical, so we should just answer it practically and honestly, and, uh, and if we need to repent and change our behaviors in some areas of our lives, we should just do that, we shouldn't make a, you know, a big fuss about it, we should just move forward in obedience according to the Lord's word, but the question is this, do you prioritize God instruction in savings, investing, and taking on debt? Do you prioritize God in these areas of your lives? Like, does, does your, do your finances reflect that, or do they not? Or do, you, do your finances reveal that you're, you're a slave to everything you want? Like, we know what our finances reveal. What do your finances reveal to you? For where your treasure is, there, there will your heart be also. Okay? So we need to ask ourselves, like, honestly, where, where's our heart at? Because that's where the priority of our finances actually lies. Okay, if you guys need to speak with anybody um, today, right now is, is the time to do that. About anything we covered, we're going to have you know, uh, some, some leaders up here in just a moment. Um, and you can, you can pray about something that you heard in this message. You also maybe just notice like, man, let alone these areas, my life doesn't really line up with Scripture in any area. And I think it's time that I be honest with myself about that and start applying God's Word to my life. You can come up here and you can, you can talk to a counselor about that today and, and get prayer for that and move forward in faith. Um, it doesn't have to necessarily be about one of these topics, but it can be. But um, for, for those of you who are visiting today, like if, if there are visitors in the room who are here at church because it's Easter, uh, the title of this message was, was We Have Everything We Need. Um, and like, I believe that to be true. And I know several other people do because, not, not just because like God tells us so, but because I made a personal decision to give my life to Jesus Christ eight years ago when I was 22 years old. Um, and uh, that, that decision um, changed the, traject the trajectory of my life completely, completely. I mean, I was, I was headed off a cliff, okay? Jesus Christ died for every single one of us and was buried for three days and then rose from the grave and defeated death and left death and sin in the ground, okay? And, and, and if you, and if you if you're in here today and you've, you've not had this moment, this profession, uh, your own personal profession of salvation, 
Um, now is the day to, to do that, or it, at least it's the day to ask a question about it, because that's what we're celebrating on this day, his resurrection, okay? We have everything we need, but you might not. You might be missing the one thing that you truly need in life, and that is salvation through Jesus Christ. And if your life reflects that you're a slave to everything the world tells you that you've got to be a slave to, that you're trying to keep up with, you know, with, with just the, the rat race of life, like, and, 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 and your life is just one thing after another, whatever the world says for you to do, and it's, and it's, and it's landed you in a place of, of, you know, unhappiness, depression, and anxiety, well, like, that'll continue to be the case. You might put a Band-Aid on it, like, by, by getting something you want. You might put a Band-Aid on it, but it's just a Band-Aid, and that thing's going to wear off, and you're going to be right back to where you were. Salvation through Jesus Christ is the only way to, to, to true joy, and it's the only way to be reconciled to God the Father. And God the Father made each and every one of you with a real purpose, right? The world can't give you a purpose, and it's not going to. So if you have questions about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that he died for us and rose again, today is the day to have an, a conversation about that. You're invited to do that. Nobody's going to force you to make a profession of faith. We just want to present you with the gospel of truth. All right, so I'm going to pray, then we can get into to worship. God, thank you for today, Lord. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for, um, for the sacrifice of, of your son and for, for what it has done for so many of us in this room. Um, it, is the, it is the greatest gift. You know, your, your word tells us in Proverbs 23, 23, to, to buy the truth and sell it not. And the truth is... Um, that there's no greater thing than that. There's no greater thing we can realize. There's no greater thing we could do for ourselves than to live according to your, your word, your instruction for our lives, and, 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 and to live it out from a place of wisdom. So God, I pray that we would, uh, we would be changed by today's message, even if it's in the smallest way, that, it would, that we'd be changed and that we would, we would move forward in faith, uh, prioritizing you in all things. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. That today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in His Word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.